everybody, and welcome to episode number 32 of Glass City Game Time, one of America's great sports podcasts brought to you by The Blade. My name is Corey Christen, and thanks for listening once again. We always appreciate you checking us out every week on ToledoBlade.com, on Blade News Slide, and one of the various podcasting outlets that you can find us each week. This week, we're joined by a guest yet again, and we're very excited to welcome in the head coach of the Detroit Red Wings. It is Jeff Blashill. Now, Blashill, in his fifth season as the Red Wings head coach, he's been involved with the organization for nine seasons. He was previously the head coach of the Grand Rapids Griffins of the American Hockey League. They are the Red Wings affiliate, and Blashill spent time as an assistant coach for the Red Wings back in 2011 and 2012. And Jeff joins me to talk about quite a bit of topics surrounding his team. Obviously, with the NHL season in suspension right now, the coronavirus pandemic shutting things down in mid-March, we get his reaction to what happened during that time and how he has kept his team ready to resume play should that happen. There's on the calendar three and a half weeks left in the NHL season. And there's no word yet whether the season is going to be canceled or if they're going to start in the playoffs. The Red Wings are in last place in their division and they are out of the playoff race, but still could have some games left to the regular season. We also talk about the Red Wings and their progression throughout the season. A young team led by Dylan Larkin, who at 23 years old is leading the team in points. And we talk about Jeff coaching in the AHL and seeing the development of some of these players. And also Jeff brings up one particular Toledo walleye player who he has had a long history and a long past with in a very good way, I might add. So enjoy this conversation, this about 18 minutes with Jeff, and I will talk to you at the end of the podcast. Jeff, first and foremost, I want to thank you for taking time to join me. And is everybody staying safe in your circle during this coronavirus quarantine that we're all going through? Yeah, you know what? I feel for sure lucky. Um, You know, my family, my kids, my wife, my parents, my in-laws, my my brothers and sisters, uh, you know, everybody's healthy. So, you know, certainly given... Uh, what's going on across the country and, and the toll that it's taken on lots of people. We feel, uh, you know, real lucky to, to have everybody in a situation where we're healthy and, and, and have uh, not yet been affected, uh, certainly to the degree that, that a lot have. So back in March and mid-March, the NHL suspended operations indefinitely. On March 11th, the NBA said it was shutting down for the time being, and then the day after, Gary Bettman and the NHL, they didn't hesitate to do the same thing. And really, they got out ahead of everything. You guys were set to play in Washington on that day. What do you remember about that whole process unfolding and learning about what was going on and maybe reacting towards it? Yeah, we were actually, you know, I was um, having dinner uh, in Washington that night with the coaching staff, and uh, we were watching the TV, and uh, at that point, um, President Trump came on and said he was uh, suspending flights from Europe to, to the U.S., or international flights, I should say, not just Europe. And, and 
um, I, you know, I said to myself, wow, that's a big deal. Uh, I don't remember in my lifetime that happening. And, and then uh, just a little later, uh, we saw a tweet that the NBA uh, had, had, had shut their, their season down for the, for the time being. And so, you know, we felt like it was probably going to happen for us. Uh, we obviously share uh, a ton of the same facilities, including ours in Detroit. Rudy Gobert had been through Detroit. We, we felt like it was going to happen in the NHL, that, that it, it was going to suspend in some fashion. But we, we hadn't got word of that yet. So we got up the next morning. We went to the rink, business as usual. My message to our players was business as usual because we had to be prepared in case it didn't happen. And, and we had to play a game. And as the morning went along, we got word that uh, we could not pregame skate. And at that point, I knew uh, it was a formality. It was just a matter of time. But we still were awaiting word. And to be honest with you, you know, we didn't know the extent of the severity yet. Um, uh, you know, I didn't know if it was going to be suspended for a long time or uh, we were scheduled to play in Tampa a couple of days later. And, you know, the conversations I had with uh, Steve Eisenman was, you know, should we fly home? Should we fly to Tampa? Uh, is this going to be a long-term thing? And we, we, we probably had our gut feel that it was going to be a long-term thing. But, again, we didn't know for sure. There was just so many unknowns out there. So, you know, we flew home, didn't know what to expect after that. And, you know, obviously now it's been a long stretch uh, since that day. We're still unsure of when things may kick up if they do. What are you guys doing to kind of stay ready in case that actually does happen? Yeah, you know, we are in, in, we're all, we're in a unique situation in the sense that we may get called back to play. That's I've kind of had differing times where I've thought we are going to, the Detroit Red Wings will play, and different times where I wasn't sure if we'd be able to, depending on the on, on where the, the timing of all this shakes out. And But we also can't waste this time period for uh, training for next season. So, you know, our guys were a little bit, not in between, but in the spot where, you know, they wanted to, to, to continue to train as best they can to be ready if we come back, but also you know, have a long-term approach and be ready when the season were to start a year from now, which we don't know when that is, but a year from now, we also have the restraints, uh, obviously, depending on everybody's situation. You know, we have guys, the NHL, after the first few days, uh, allowed the players to go to their home cities, um, wherever that is, uh, around the globe. And so we have guys in different parts of the world that are have different parameters in place. So the guys in Sweden don't have the, maybe the same restrictions that uh, a lot of the other places in the world does. So they've been able to do a little bit more. Basically, what we've done as a staff is, um, you know, I've been able to get on a phone call with, with our players and uh, a, a Zoom call with our players, talk about some things uh, from the season, a little bit of review, uh, a little bit of looking forward, a lot of stuff that you'd probably uh, do more at the end of the year. We've done it in this pause. And and basically our outlook has been this. If we come back to play, you know, we're out of the playoff picture, obviously. And But if we come back to play, uh, let's use it as a great springboard for next season. And, and while the games might not mean a lot for us for this current season, uh, they can mean a heck of a lot for next season. So that's been our focus. Uh, but yet again, we just don't know if we'll be afforded that opportunity to get back and get after it with, with our players for a period of time. So you mentioned that you have players back overseas. Given that, the NBA has announced and, and teams have started to open their training facilities. In the NHL, there hasn't really been anything at least publicized quite yet. Do you feel like there would be a couple more hoops to go through for the NHL to start opening their training facilities back up should they want to finish the season out? 
you know, I think the the NHL League office has done an excellent job through this process of, of continue to leave every option open, of not uh, uh, not stating anything into the future that they don't know is factual. And, and, you know, that's the problem with where all the decision makers are at in this is we don't know what tomorrow brings. And so I think the NHL has done a really good job you know, of that. And, and there's a, a negotiation process, obviously, with our NHL PA. And I think, you know, one of the things that uh, seems to be out there, I've just read it in the media reports, is uh, I think the players would like if one of the facilities, home facilities open, they'd like all of them to be open. And until that point, I'm not sure that they will speak out of fairness, which I understand. Uh, you know, if we do get to a spot that we, where we get back and playing, you know, to those that have been on the ice more uh, certainly have some advantage. So there's a lot that goes into it. Um, you know, I, I, I read media reports that this week there could be some, I don't want to call it decisions because, again, until you know what tomorrow brings, it's impossible to have a definitive decision, but maybe some plans put in place. So we'll we'll see. I look forward to seeing what happens this week. And, you know, I think we're like the rest of the world right now. And, uh, you know, we're kind of just uh, in in idle mode. And we've got to make the most of what that idle mode means. But we are in idle mode. What would you say about playing games without fans in attendance? Should that be an option? Well, I think right now, uh, listen, I, I just got, I watched with my nine-year-old son last night, I watched Hoosiers. And sports are can be great uh, avenues to bring communities together, to bring fan bases together, to have that collection of emotion. It's better, obviously. If everybody, if we had it our perfect way, we'd have it with lots of fans and all the emotion that comes with that. But we're in unprecedented times, and we can't have it exactly how we want it. Um, and, and, and so if we're able to play, you know, without fans, then, then so be it. Obviously, everybody would love to have fans in place. But, uh, you know, there's a safety, a huge safety element here that uh, needs to be first and foremost on everybody's mind. You know, I had a chance to watch the golf yesterday, and, you know, and that was without fans. And, uh, you know, from a TV perspective, it was still exciting. And, and so there's two different, you know, sports has, has changed over the years. In the Hoosier days, it was all live, obviously, and now it's become, uh, you know, a, a big big TV deal. And, 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 uh, and I think uh, sports can certainly be extremely entertaining on TV, regardless of fans. Certainly, if we all had our druthers, we'd love to have fans in the building, and this wouldn't have happened. But it did happen, and we have to deal with the consequences of it. So let's talk about your season up until it did get suspended, and obviously not where you want to be in the points, but a lot of young talent on your team, Jeff, and your top three point scorers are 25 years and younger, including Dylan Larkin, who at 23 – 53 points in 71 games. You know, how did you see your team kind of develop as the season went on? Did you feel like there was a steady progression and you guys got better as the season went? Well, I would say there was ebbs and flows, and I would say there was moments. um, Part of sports is human emotion, as I talked about, and and with human emotion, you know, there can be times where it's hard. And certainly uh, we had moments in our season, a number of moments, where it was really hard. And sometimes that uh, can distract you from what the ultimate goal is, and that's getting better every day. And how does it distract you? It can drain your energy. It makes it hard. It doesn't. It's not as exciting to come to the rink every day. And and you really have to learn to self-discipline yourself and uh, make sure you have a next game and a next shift mentality, and that we're working just towards getting better. And 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 that's not an easy thing on a 46-year-old coach, much less a, a 23, 24, 22-year-old players. Um, the emotion's real, and we talk lots about 
frustration being a waste of time. Uh, it's a waste of human emotion. Um, you gain nothing from frustration. We talked lots about learning from yesterday, but then erasing it from our memory and moving on. And so in terms of growth, was there growth? Uh, I think there was absolutely growth opportunities, and I think a lot of our guys grew. Um, and, and growth doesn't necessarily just come in a step-by-step. You'd love it to just be like an escalator, and it just goes smooth right up the right up uh, the heights. That's not how it works. Growth uh, happens with a, a few steps forward and a few steps back and a few steps forward, and, and along the way you get knocked down, and you have to get back up. And, and I think you know part of the maturation process and growth for a number of our players is is understanding uh, in those tough moments that you have to get back up and how you handle yourself. Not only do you got to get back up, but you have to get back up with your confidence intact, and that's not an easy thing. So there was definitely uh, growth uh, with, without a shadow of a doubt. You know, we you know, obviously over the last number of years, um, we've lost a lot of really good quality NHL players, whether that be through uh, injury in Zetterberg's case or retirement in Cronwell's case or trades in a, in a, in a numerous number of cases. And what that's done is, is given lots of opportunity to our young players to try to accelerate their growth as fast as we can. But it still takes time. And there's no, you know, we, we've, we've um, basically ripped the Band-Aid off to where now they have to sink or swim. And, and you'd love to have a safety net where you can't necessarily sink. But that's not the, the situation we're in. So now you're learning as you, as you sink at times. And you're getting back and, and finding ways to swim. And I think uh, I, I was proud of our guys. Um, of the fact that they were able to, to keep their focus as the year went along. And that didn't always show in us playing great, and it didn't certainly show at all in results. But it did show an effort, and it showed in growth. And, and so certainly from my eyes, uh, we had lots of moments of growth, and we've got to continue to. The Detroit Red Wings organization really for a long time has drafted and developed and had this homegrown talent. So when you talk about growth, You've spent a number of years in this organization, and you've coached down in the AHL with Grand Rapids. So knowing that some of these players, in fact, most of these players have come up through that system and knowing the history that even down here in Toledo, we see some walleye players make it to the NHL. It seems like the organization has a path that you're very accustomed to and that you're very used to, and that growth and development can continue into next season. For sure, and, and there is no shortcut uh, to success in the National Hockey League, different from uh, either other, even other sports at the highest level. Um, there aren't very many free agents that are big-time impactful in the NHL anymore. It's a different world than it once was. Uh, you have to draft and you have to develop. That is the only avenue to long-term success. You can feel once you're a really good team, you might be able to snag a free agent that puts you over the, over the top. But to really build your team, you have to build from within. And Ken Holland made a concerted effort even my first year. So this goes back five years. Uh, we made the playoffs, but he didn't. Uh, he, he made a decision not to trade any assets to acquire anybody at the deadline. And then after that, we started trading assets to acquire draft picks. And that's how you end up building your organization talent tool back up. That's the reality of it. And it never goes as fast as any of us want. You know, we'd all like it to go uh, much, much faster. I think when Steve Eisenman came on board he talked about uh, the need for patience and that's uh, it's not always easy as a as a coach it's not easy as a player not easy as a, a manager and it's certainly not easy as a fan base but that's the reality of it you have to make sure you have to draft and ultimately find ways to elite players and elite players uh, that have that, that 
great character of winners are the ones that you end up winning the highest uh, level with. And so, you know, I think uh, our scouting staff's had a lot of picks to work with. I think we've got a, a good uh, talent pool uh, that's up and coming. I hope all of them develop extraordinarily fast and can make an impact uh, as early as next season. Uh, but that's not usually the case. Usually everybody develops at a different rate, and we'll see. But I do know that our pool is deeper than it's been based on the fact that we've acquired the number of draft picks that we have. And, and you know, I've been in the organization nine years, and uh, I think especially from the defenseman standpoint, it's as deep of a defenseman pool as we've had. Part of that deep pool is down here in Toledo with the walleye in the ECHL. And when the ECHL season was canceled, the walleye were four points back in first place in their division. Were you able to keep tabs on any, any of the players down here in Toledo that were playing? Um, you know, not uh, not a ton of, of uh, watching their progress uh, directly. I'm not able to get down to games. I don't see a lot of it on video. Certainly keep tabs through Dan Watson um, as to how guys are going. Keep tabs through Ben Simon and GR, who has more direct uh, conversations with Dan Watson. I did get a chance. They came up and practiced in our building, so I got a chance to watch some of the players there. I'm familiar with some of the players, including a – an ex-player of mine, Shane Birschbach, who's a heck of a heck of a player and heck of a person. Dan Watson's done an excellent job down there, uh, carrying on for uh, Derek Lalonde. And um, you know, just when I watched that practice, uh, uh, you know, you you could tell what a good job the coaching staff had done. And, and Andy Delmore's an excellent uh, coach, especially uh, helps the the young defensemen in the organization. So, you know, we certainly feel we being uh, the Detroit Red Wing organization, whether it's Jeff Blaschel, Steve Eisenman, Ryan Martin. The other, those others, uh, Pat Verbeek, those in, involved in management feel real lucky to have uh, Toledo as our uh, AA affiliate because of the class that the organization works with and, and the coaching staff that's in place there. Well, you mentioned Shane Birchback. He became the Walleye's all-time leading goal scorer this season. What are your experiences around Shane and what kind of player is he? Well, I got to coach Shane in, in junior and then in college. Uh, I was only with him in college for a year because then I left to go to Detroit. But uh, uh, Shane Shane played for me for a couple of years in uh, in junior. And, um, you know, when I first drafted Shane, Shane's not a big guy today, but he was a really, really small uh, young young guy at the time. And uh, I remember when he came into our trial camp, uh, I wondered where his older brother was that was going to come play for us. And, and uh but what I always liked about Shane was he had great, great hockey sense. He's a hockey player. He's got great poise. Uh, made a number of big-time plays and big moments for me over the three different years that I've coached him. Uh, competes hard for a little guy. Um, he's just a hockey player. He's a really good hockey player, and he's a great person. And it was actually uh, really cool that when they came in our building, it was good to get a chance. You know, our lives are uh, normally – uh, not now, but normally uh, so busy, you don't get a chance to catch up with enough people, and it was great to catch up with them. And, um, you know, no doubt that he's had a huge impact on, on the walleye organization. doesn't surprise me that uh, he stands where he does in the overall uh, goal leaders because he's an excellent hockey player and an excellent competitor. Jeff, we hope you guys can get back to action uh, this season and you get to finish that final three weeks or so. But for the meantime, thanks for taking a few minutes to join me here, and good luck in preparation for when you guys do get back to action. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. There you go. My thanks again to Jeff Blashill for taking time to join me this week. And I want to extend a thank you to Todd Beam at the Detroit Red Wings for helping me get this set up with Jeff.
A lot to be decided still with the fate of the NHL season, whether they're going to resume it at all, whether they're going to resume it without fans, they're going to start the playoffs, resume the rest of the regular season. A lot of possibilities could happen with the NHL, and we'll see within the next few weeks here, hopefully, what that fate is. How about that conversation about Shane Burschback, too? One of the storied players in the Toledo Walleye organization's history, the all-time leading scorer for Toledo, and Blashill has had nothing but great to say about Shane Burschback. Thanks again to Jeff. Thanks again to Todd with the Red Wings. And thank you for tuning into this week's episode of Glass City Game Time. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to subscribe. We always appreciate that, whether you do so on Apple Podcasts, on Google Play, on Spotify. We are available each week for streaming. And if you enjoyed this show, please consider sharing as well. We always appreciate that. Please feel free to leave a like rating as well. That goes a long way, much further than you might believe. So, for Jeff Blashill, my name is Corey Christen. Thank you for listening to Glass City Game Time, and I will talk to you next week.